Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Follows right after Hebrews. You have a little trouble finding it. I've been preaching a series of sermons from the book of James over a little while. I'm going to continue for three or four or five more Sundays, at least through the month of April. At least one sermon a week will come from the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, the author of this particular book. And he is very plain in a lot of the things that he says, and he is talking to the church all the way through the book. And we will think of it, as I preached this morning, I hope, in, in that vein, of seeing what he actually has to say to us as members of the church. Just two verses, verse 26 and 27 of the first chapter. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to come to your house to share together in worship, in the reading of your word, in prayer, May your spirit speak to us this morning in a very special way as we look at what is recorded in your word by one of the greatest men of the early church. Lord, if there is a need in our hearts, a vacancy that needs to be filled, a change of attitude, an altering of our spirit, or if there be those who have never received you as Savior, or those who need to be a part of this local fellowship, we pray that you will speak to each heart where the need is and apply your word to each of us in a very special way. We pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. The title is Pure Religion. Most of you look pretty religious. Sheila, you look mighty religious this morning. Wilma, you look pretty religious yourself. (coughs) Senate, I think you look fairly religious. Dillard looks religious. We all look religious. Anybody doesn't look religious this morning? No, we look religious. Now, we may not feel religious, 
Perhaps our feelings don't match our looks. Do I look religious? Why, certainly I look religious. I've got on a suit, tie, yeah, white shirt. I came prepared to look like a religious person. Well, what makes a person religious? Our looks. You know, there are people who say to me once in a while in general conversation, that person is really religious. And I wonder, what is there about that person that gives that impression that that person is really religious? If I went down the street carrying my Bible, I'd look pretty religious. And somebody might say, boy, he's really religious because he carries his Bible right over his heart. You can see the religious guys in the hospital. Well, they go down the hallways and go into room after room carrying a Bible right here. That's why you won't find me carrying a Bible in my hand in the hospital. It'll be in my pocket. Because I don't want to look religious. And I don't want any of you to look religious. Some people put on the appearance of being religious by long faces and long and loud prayers. I was in the hospital not long ago and I heard the awful sound I had ever heard. And I thought, what on earth is going on? Somebody has died and that's wailing. Until I got to the room and there was a religious person praying loud and long that the whole hospital could hear over the soul of the person laying there in bed. And I imagine that he had his hands over his ears. I don't know if he did or not. Probably not. Because that, to some people, looks religious. There are some people who cut themselves in order to appear religious. That's what the prophets of Baal did when Elijah challenged them to the contest on Mount Carmel to see whose God would answer their prayer. A man by the name of Henry Martin walked around all of his life with pebbles in his shoes to make him uncomfortable because he thought the agony that he was going through with made him religious. Some people wear black clothes all the time to appear religious. Others develop beautiful pageantry and participate in marvelous things in a sanctuary or out in public. And we have attended and been a part of some of the most beautiful services, I suppose, and that we have ever experienced in our life here in this sanctuary. And that's good in itself. 
except if it only gives us the appearance of being religious. I cringe at times when I see the entourage that goes with the Pope when he travels from country to country. And there's these crowds that line the streets to see the Pope go by, and he has on his fine, fancy, whatever it is, I'll call it hat, he's got another name for it, I'm sure, with the beautiful, fancy robe, hands clasped in front of him, smiling forcefully to the people as he goes by. My, that looks religious. And all the people who have lined the streets would have said they had a religious experience. The beauty of buildings and ceremony attribute to an emotional situation in which we would call that religion, but is it really, is the question. And some of us would say, since all of that pomp and ceremony in our minds detracts from what our real purpose is, we'll not go through pomp and ceremony and beautiful services and candlelight and all of that stuff. We'll avoid all of that and we'll make it very simple. Very crude. And there are Baptists that call themselves the primitive Baptists for that very purpose. To be crude because we don't want to be caught up in the ceremony and the pomp of uh, such things. And that in itself, they say, makes them religious. But does it? Then there are those who believe that being religious has something to do with sentiment and emotion. There's got to be an exciting feeling. A lot of hand clapping, ain't any. And jumping around with the pulpit makes a person religious. I've been to services where the preacher did more dancing than I've ever seen in my life, and yet the church says you're not supposed to dance. And he jumped all over the place and tore off his coat and threw it and jumped up and down and shouted to the top of his voice and the people were amen and everything he said and they were caught up in an emotional stream and tears flowed and this made them religious. But did it? And again I say there's nothing wrong with emotion and tears flowing and, and hand clapping and amening and perhaps even shouting. But don't say that that's religion in and of itself. Because oftentimes, as soon as that particular event is over, a person turns off the tears and settles down the emotion and becomes a human being again and the preacher no longer dances. And there aren't any amenings and shoutings outside the door. That's all been turned off. Is religion something we turn on and we turn off? Or is it more than that? 
said that there are some among you who seem to be religious. That's why I started out by saying, you all look religious. You could say, I look religious. What he's saying is that we have established an opinion of ourselves that places us in the category of those who are such. But you see, the problem is that puts us ourselves in a position of having an elevated opinion of us that may not be shared by God. Just because I think I'm religious doesn't mean God thinks I am. The question is not how do we act in church and how do we look here? The thing that proves our religion is what are we the rest of the week? How are we on Monday morning and Saturday night and all the time in between? How is our religion affecting us at home? Men, if we are abusers of our wives and of our children, the fact that we had an experience in which we considered ourselves to be religious on Sunday cuts no ice with God. Unless that which we portray here is found in our daily life. We have missed the point of what it is to serve God. At home and at work, the real religious person ought to shine, not just in church. You know, there are some TV shows that asks the real person to stand up. You know, they've got three people. Two of them are liars and one of them is the real person. This one over here says, I'm Joe Blow. And he goes off and I'm Joe Blow, and I'm Joe Blow. And then finally they say, well, the real Joe Blow stand up. And everybody is anxious, and I, I do this, watching and waiting to see which one of those guys is going to stand up. It's the one I picked. And I usually miss it, because somebody led me astray. They took me down the garden path, and there's somebody else. The real person finally stands up. What I'm saying is the real religious person will stand up during the week. And what he says or does on Sunday will be what he says and does all week long. And this verse says that if any man is among you and seems to be religious but does not bridle his tongue. Woe. Does what? Deceives his own heart. That is, has convinced himself that he's religious when in fact he is not. Because he has not been capable of controlling his own speech. Listen, that person who can pray on Sunday and curse on Monday is a liar. Amen. 
you agree with that? The undoing of a person's religious appearance comes basically through his speech. We betray our reality, our truth, our identity by what we say. If the person who prays on Sunday skins somebody in a business deal on Monday, that person is not religious. If that person who speaks so highly of God on Sunday but abuses and mistreats his wife or his family or in reverse, the woman abuses her family, cannot be considered religious. For that person who can pray to God on Sunday but talk about his neighbor on Monday is not religious. The unbridled tongue has destroyed more people than all the wars that have ever been fought. The unbridled tongue has literally killed people by the scores of thousands, inflicted more damage, destroyed more homes, torn down the character of person after person after person. And it comes out of the same mouth that was praising God in a beautiful ceremony. Somebody coined the phrase, sticks and bones may break my, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words they will not hurt me. I don't believe that. Sticks and stones do break my bones, but let me tell you something. Words kill me and kill you and kill the church and destroy our image. It's time that we learn to control this little thing we call the tongue. Because it identifies us for what we are. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In other words, whatever's down here, brother, is going to come out. Don't you think that we can cover up Six days of abusive use of the tongue by one day of being in God's house and looking religious. Psalm 39, 1 says, I will take heed to my, my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. The purpose of a bridle is to put on a horse is to guide him and wherever the the, the tongue of that horse goes, the whole body is going to go. And wherever the tongue that you and I use and whatever comes out of it is going to carry with it the full image and impression of our total being. It's all tied up in what we say. Yes, words cut. It all deals with integrity. You remember recently, the Senate, U.S. Senate was considering Mr. Tower to be the Secretary of, what was it, Defense? And there was a whole lot of debate as to whether he was qualified for the job, and it centered around his drinking. 
because the question really dealt with how much dependence can we put in this man? Is it possible that he'll get drunk and have his thumb on the button that will start the next world war? Because he does not really have control of himself. And anybody who knows anything about alcohol knows that it doesn't take very much until a person begins to lose his good common sense. And things begin to change. And his mind does not work as well and doesn't think as clear. And things happen under the influence of alcohol that would not happen if a person were not drinking. We all know that. And I think the Senate was wise in turning down a man who had a question raised about his integrity of life. But I want to carry that over to say there's plenty of reason to realize that we have the control of a weapon that can destroy more than Mr. Tower could have destroyed as Secretary of Defense. And it's a wee little thing. And we carry it in our mouth. That's the weapon of destruction. And it takes a man and woman of integrity to know when to keep quiet and what to say and what not to say. And the destructions that have been done with that little member of our body have damaged us in this church and have damaged individuals in this church maybe beyond repair. And it's time we learn to be men and women of integrity. It's time that we grow up. And if you can't say something nice, keep your mouth shut. Is what the Bible would tell us to do. Keep it to ourselves. Until that tongue can come forth with something that is pure, let it come forth with nothing. Now, he says in the 27th verse that pure religion, he gives us a definition. Pure religion, an undefiled religion before God and the Father. What is it? If you're religious, we're going to have to put ourselves in verse 27. Pure religion is not tied up in ceremony, in pomp, and in pageantry. Pure religion is not tied up in emotions. Pure religion is not tied up in attending a worship service, but pure religion is that which is acceptable before God that has nothing to do with all of those things at all, but it deals with doing something. Now, I probably am going to distress a few people in what I say now. That's okay. I don't mind causing distress on this subject at least. There are lots of groups, we have some Baptist groups along this line, who say that the church is to concentrate on preaching and reaching the lost and don't pay any attention at all to their other needs. We've got groups who do that. It is not our responsibility to feed those who are hungry or to clothe those who are poor, they say. It's not ours to assist the stranger. Let somebody else do all those things. All we're going to do is preach Christ and, 
and, uh, and hope people will be saved and everything else can go by the wayside. It's called being opposed to the social gospel. You've heard of the social gospel, I hope. The social gospel is the gospel that says we will take the person where he is and we will deal with him as a complete person. We're not going to segregate out some part of him, his soul, let's say. We're not going to just concentrate on his soul. But we're going to be concerned about his body. We're going to be concerned about his health. We're going to be concerned about his welfare. We're going to be concerned about his housing. We're going to be concerned about the condition of that where he lives and his family. We're going to take him as a whole. There are those who say, we don't have any business being involved in those things. But Jesus said... Pure religion is to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction. And I think we would not abuse the scripture at all that we can follow through the scripture and say that he's telling us that we've got to be concerned about the total person. However we might find him. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And on and on he went. And the disciples said, well, Lord, when did we find you uh, hungry and, and fed you or, or naked and clothed you or, or thirsty and gave you drink or in prison and ministered to you? And Jesus said, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. There's pure religion. What we do to benefit the lives of other people in the name of Jesus Christ makes pure religion. That's where it is. We can't say that we're religious because we've been to church this morning. We can only say we are religious when we have taken up our means and we have ministered to somebody else in the name of Jesus Christ, whatever that need might be. And it may be a bowl of soup that you take to somebody. It may be assisting somebody in their, uh, all their other needs. That's pure religion. And that's why we as a church cannot be satisfied in just maintaining our building as beautiful and as important as it is to the glory of God we're doing all we're doing. And we ought to do what we're doing. I fully, fully support everything we're doing. But I'm saying that we've got to get beyond thinking about ourselves at times and think about somebody else. There's where our religion really shines. But he doesn't stop there. Let me conclude with the last statement he makes. Pure religion is to do some things, visit the fathers and the widows and their the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, but he also says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now this has always intrigued me. I've never preached on this subject at all. This is the first time I've ever used these two verses in a sermon, as far as I can remember. Undefiled religion, pure religion, includes two things, assisting other people, and secondly, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. 
Now, if you and I were walking down a muddy road, I know what I would look like when I got to the other end. I would be covered with mud from one end to the other. There's no way I can walk down a muddy road without getting mud all the way to the top of my head. Can you? That just seems to be me. I've gone with people who could wear their Sunday shoes down a muddy road and never have anything mud on them at all because they were capable of doing that. Jesus is saying, as we walk the muddy roads of life, we're to get in the mud, but we're not to be scarred by the mud. We're to come out with white garments on. We're to have no question raised about our integrity. Because we have come through the muck and the mire of life and have proved that we have religion because we have remained unscarred and unstained by that which we've walked through. Now some people can remain unstained by never getting down in the mud. And that's fine, I suppose, if you want to stay that perfectly clean. But listen, Jesus didn't walk on the paved road. He walked in the mud of life. That's where the people who needed him were, and that's where we've got to be. We've got to go out there and love and restore the people who are devastated because they are sinking in the mire of life. Sin has stained them and has abused them, and we should not be afraid to get down where they are. But when we come out of the issue... We come out in good shape. No question about us. No question about our integrity. If we say it, people will say it's got to be true. If they hear us say it, it will be good. It will be moral. It will be honest. It will be right. There's not going to be any stain of the world because we have abused the privilege of using our tongue. We're not going to be talking about people. We're going to be helping people. Pure religion is serving God by serving each other and putting others ahead of ourselves. That's what pure religion is. If you think of yourself first, your religion is impure. Only when you think of somebody else ahead of you and before you and instead of you can your religion even be considered to be approaching purity. What kind of religion do you have? He said a person who does not bridle his tongue, his religion is vain. I went to the dictionary to see what vain means. There's several definitions. Let me give you six of them. Vain means having no real value. Having no real value. It means marked by futility. Vain means ineffective. Vain means unsuccessful. Useless. What kind of religion do we have? Vain religion? Who will 
looks after self first and just incidentally might help somebody else if the occasion came along and we couldn't seem to get out of it? Or are we willing to control our tongue and go out seeking those that we can help? And if it means getting down and wallowing in the mire with them, we'll do it. But when we get up out of that mire, people are going to know that we were unstained. It didn't hold on us. Our religion is pure. I want to know what kind of religion you have. That's a question you'll have to answer. Don't tell me. Tell your own heart. Where's your heart? Where's your faith? How do you serve and worship the Lord Jesus? Is your religion vain or is it pure? Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.